Welcome to Techno, where Sophos experts explore, explain, and hopefully help you to understand the often baffling world of computer security. Techno is hosted by me, Paul Ducklin. And me, Chester Wisniewski. And today's topic is firewalls. Chester, you're something of an expert on firewalls, both Sophos products and firewalls in general. And one of the tricky things about that term is it's a little bit like vehicle when we talk about the roads, isn't it? Where a vehicle can cover anything from a bicycle, a motorcycle, a car, a truck, a bus, and firewall covers an awful lot of bases. So let's start right at the beginning of sort of firewall history. What is a firewall in the old school sense of the word? What do we mean when we talk about firewalling computer networks? Well, the firewall, in essence, is a barrier uh, traditionally thought of as between the inside and the outside. So um, there's big, scary stuff on the network, on the Internet, uh, somewhere out there that might be trying to get into our networks. And therefore, we need to put up some kind of a filter there to block unwanted connections and ensure that only desirable traffic comes uh, into or out of our networks. Now, in the early days, when people talked about firewalls, really, they meant some kind of network filtration device that worked at the very lowest level, didn't they? So it was all about packets and ports and IP addresses and not much more. But these days we have a thing called a next generation firewall, something of an ironic name since you can buy them today, which does a lot more. So do you want to talk us through the idea of what's what's this whole concept of port and IP number blocking? Why is it not enough? And how do modern day firewalls actually try and provide you with a better layer of protection? Well, I think the best way to describe it to people is when we think about port numbers, uh, you mentioned that, right? So you've got, say, port 25 for emails and port 80 for web traffic. Those port numbers don't actually mean anything, right? They're arbitrary. They've, they've been assigned to be well-known places to go look for certain services on the internet, but it doesn't mean that that's actually what they're being used for. So we see lots of people uh, attempting to subvert policies or bypass their firewalls by running other services on those known ports. So maybe uh, your network blocks email from going out on port 25 to prevent you from spamming, um, and you want to send some emails and, and get around the email filter. You may then run a mail server on port 80 on a computer somewhere out in the cloud, and then you know it will look like web traffic to a, quote, traditional firewall. So I think the concept of next generation really is saying, let's look at what not just these packets proclaim to be based on these arbitrary assignments of numbers, let's actually look inside of them, right? Is there anything malicious inside of this? And this particular traffic proclaimed itself to be web traffic. Is it actually web traffic? Because if it's not, we probably still don't want to allow it to go out because that, that, that traffic's impersonating something it shouldn't. That kind of raises another point in that you could do authentication of who's communicating as another rule. So many of us use things like DHCP inside of our networks, and it's hard to identify that I want to allow Paul to uh, connect to web traffic, and I want to allow Kathy to do email traffic. The problem is Kathy's IP address changes every morning when she boots her computer up when she gets to the office. So rather than worrying about which IP Kathy has today, I can make users authenticate, say, maybe against Active Directory, for example, 
so I can identify people and create even more definitive policies around the type of things I want to allow for different groups within an organization. Is a next generation firewall the same as a UTM? Because you do sort of hear those terms used interchangeably. Or is a UTM, a unified threat management product, is that a kind of super duper firewall, if you like, a next next generation firewall? Well, I think it's a very confusing thing, but I've sorted it a certain way in my head. So I'll just share my thoughts with you. And that, of course, both of these terms come from marketing people at different companies. So everybody has a slightly different definition of what that is. To me, a next generation firewall is that intelligence about the network stream. So we're still looking at packets coming in and going out and what the intent of those packets are, what kind of a payload those packets have, and do those packets meet certain policy requirements that we've defined in our organization. It's different from a unified threat management appliance in that unified threat management appliance is sort of consolidating lots of different security and policy gear that you might normally have at the edge, which would include your next generation firewall, but also might include, say, your spam filter, uh, a virus or web filter to to block uh, undesirable websites, uh, maybe your VPN concentrator, uh, remote access dial-in services, all these types of things that used to be perhaps seven or eight different boxes that an organization might have at the gateway uh, combined into one. So I think a, a UTM is sort of an uber next generation firewall in that it contains that next generation firewall tool inside of it. It also contains a whole bunch of other tools to hopefully simplify the management and reduce the amount of uh, overhead and, and boxes involved. Now, you've used terms like inside and outside, and most firewalls, whether they're UTM-type firewalls, next-generation firewalls, or plain old firewalls, tend to have at least two network ports, don't they? And one normally says something like LAN, that's the inside, and the other says WAN, a wide area network, that's the outside. Is it just like the firewall, for example, in your car, which separates the engine compartment from where the driver and passenger sit? Is it only about inside and outside? Or is there a bit more to it these days? The first rule of firewalling is there is no inside. Um, you know, if we look at these things logically today, especially with the current mobility of the workforce, I mean, I'm not at the office very often and I'm on the road. So I'm quote on the outside, but I'm a good guy. And yet we also know that in any sizable organization, they're likely to have uh, insecure devices, maybe vulnerable software that's not patched, or perhaps they've got some workstations that are maybe even already infected with some sort of malware. So you could argue that the bad guys are on the inside because they may be on an infected workstation or laptop or find a vulnerability in your web server. And yet your employees are on the outside. They're at a hotel. They're at the airport. Um, they're working from home. So... We, we realize now that there is no inside and outside. And what we're really trying to do with a firewall is put some sort of a choke point between two distinct areas so that we can look at both what's going in and out of each one of them. And, and you know, I see a lot of larger enterprises in particular uh, take that to heart, where they may have a firewall that segregates the engineering network from the regular corporate LAN and then maybe segregates the finance network from the corporate LAN so that if somebody in uh, sales gets infected with a virus, they can't just enter the finance network, even though everybody's, quote, on the inside, right? Because those are distinct boundaries, which is a good point to just stop, take a look, and make sure the right things are happening. Yes, that's a great point, because, of course, for example, in your quality assurance network, you might deliberately, in fact, hopefully you do want to run outdated versions of software, for example, to verify that updating works correctly. 
And those computers would be a risk to the rest of the network if they were visible everywhere, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, inevitably, sometimes compromises are going to happen. You want to be looking at traffic that's going out from secure areas because not all of that's legitimate either. I mean, it's not always just about saying, hey, we don't want our employees surfing pornography. We also want to make sure that a virus isn't carting away the customer database and being able to monitor things going out is equally as important as monitoring things coming in. So you, you really kind of, again, come back to that choke point idea of really looking at what's going in and out. It's sort of like passport control at the airport. Chester, you used the term choke point, which sort of resonates well with me because the idea is you're pushing the traffic into this basket, if you like, that you control strongly and in which you have all sorts of clever processes that can analyze what's going on to make sure whether you want to allow it or block it. I guess that raises the potential concerns that if it's a choke point, does that mean that it actually slows your network down and that all it's going to do is cause people to complain? If 20 people are browsing, but they're all being squeezed through this one network port and one server, doesn't that make everything slower? With modern computing resources, it doesn't usually have too much impact, but of course it is important to use the appropriate amount of gear based on the speed of your internet connection, and, and to carefully decide which types of policies you might want to implement. Uh, in most implementations I see, you are adding some latency. Uh, in my experience, it's about 50 to 75 milliseconds. So for most humans, they're not going to notice 50 to 75 milliseconds of, of latency. Uh, but, you know, it, it is, there is a cost to pay. And if you are using the wrong hardware, for example, maybe you have a gigabit internet connection and you decide to, to deploy your firewall on something that's... Uh, uh, a 10-year-old, you know, Pentium system that you retired from being your exchange server, at that point, you may in fact be paying a bit more of a price in speed, and, and you do have to be careful about choosing the right, uh, the right deployment platform. On the other hand, particularly for a small business where there is perhaps half a person or even no person at all who's dedicated to actually looking after security, being able to have that one basket where you're able to check the state of your eggs is rather convenient, isn't it? Because A, you don't have to rely on 20 people all making the right decisions. And B, you don't have to worry about yourself running around to 20 different computers and trying to make sure that they're all set correctly. Uh, whilst you'd hope they're set correctly, it does provide you with a sort of defense in depth approach that protects you against poor configuration, whether it's, as you say, people who are working from home or people who are inside the network. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, I use our UTM product on my home network because we, we offer it for free for folks for non-commercial use. And I like the idea that I can go one place and see if my antivirus is up to date, the web filter's working, et cetera, et cetera. And if I do have to change a rule because something's getting blocked, again, I don't have to go, ah, I wonder if that's, is that getting blocked at my router or my firewall or my web filter? I'll log into these six different things and have to comb through some logs to decide which thing needs to have a rule change. At least having it all in one place means I can just log in and do it. And you, you also get it from a reporting perspective. You know, it's, it's nice to kind of have one place to kind of view it all. And I guess also, you know, in a world where we're increasingly concerned about so-called advanced persistent threats. Now, you and I have discussed many times, often they're not really advanced. What we mean by saying that is really just that we're talking about a different sort of attacker, one who doesn't want to make $10 out of a million people anywhere in the world but might want to make a million dollars out of one company and it happens to be yours. 
that if somebody does try and focus their attention uh, onto your network, for example, by sending emails into your network that are targeting your employees, you actually have a much better chance of spotting that pattern, don't you? If you're actually pushing stuff through a choke point than if you're relying on 10 emails going to 10 different computers used by 10 different people and hoping that one of them will notice that there's an anomaly. Yeah, and it's it's one of the advantages of having some of that security in-house rather than in the cloud, right? You know, companies that have outsourced their email to providers out in the cloud and things like this, you, you do lose some visibility uh, that can be very useful when you're trying to both detect perhaps a more advanced intruder or simply just monitor your network and have an idea what's going on. A good product usually also will allow you to monitor lots of these boxes, right? So you may have five or six branch offices um, and you may have, you know, multiples of these kinds of things deployed. And by still going into one place, you're kind of getting that consolidated corporate view of all your locations as well. So even though you may not have feet on the ground uh, at a remote location, you can still keep a very close eye on what's happening. Now, to go back for a moment to where we started about, you know, this word firewall that can mean lots of things to different people. Maybe firewall is a subset of a UTM or maybe it's just a synonym for it. Uh, if you use the Sophos UTM, for example, you also will see the word proxy, which is if you is sort of a firewall, isn't it, at a much higher level, more at an application level. So tell us about a proxy and whether you think that's part of a firewall repertoire or not. Yeah, well, I mean, technically, the definition of a proxy, of course, is asking someone else to perform uh, an action on your behalf. And so uh, I, I personally do kind of lump proxies into firewalling technology. I guess for our listeners that are more um, old school, if you will, from, from a networking standpoint, firewalls usually are thought of as being at the network layer, whereas proxies, as you say, are at the application layer. So proxies are much more intelligent about what's inside of a packet as opposed to where it's going and where it's coming from and its network attributes. Uh, another real benefit to that is blocking some of that bogus traffic I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. So uh, if you're using transparent web filtering on a firewall, that actually means the firewall is not allowing outbound port 80 traffic. It's, it's intercepting anything on port 80, directing it to an application proxy who is going to go retrieve whatever web content it is that you are requesting, bring it back, make sure it's kosher, and then pass back along to you as a proxy. That means that if somebody has uh, set up a fake DNS server out on the internet on port 80, that won't work. You still won't be able to get to that over the DNS protocol because the proxy will receive the request, look at it and go, hey, this isn't a web request, and toss it out. So, you know, that's one thing it can do. It can look for viruses in there. It can do lots of different things to, uh, to look for potential exploitation of a given network protocol when there's a new vulnerability. You know, uh, it's pretty clever stuff. If I ask the proxy to fetch a web page on my behalf, the proxy can actually get the entire page and analyze it before it lets me start to see it, can't it? Whereas at a packet level, that's really hard because those packets will come through at different times, maybe out of order. And trying to stitch it all together and go, gosh, there's some JavaScript here, which gets called by that JavaScript later in the HTML file. And when you put the two together, oh dear, you've got some kind of exploit or a or web-based attack. Now, a web proxy, because it actually sees things in context, can actually do a much stronger job of keeping you safe from things like web threats and malicious email attachments, can't it? Yeah, and not only that, with proxies, you also get the advantage of things 
uh, that can look for malicious inbound unsolicited content. So perhaps we're talking about denial service attack, uh, you know, can look at those packets and see that they're trying to initiate connections but never finish them, for example, and, and just toss them out. Or uh, maybe a web application firewall that you could put in front of your Outlook Web Access server and your corporate portal that you provide, you know, as an extranet to your partners. And then it can sit there and look for things like SQL injection attacks, which we've heard about in the news so frequently that companies have succumbed to and had databases dumped. Uh, there's, there's kind of some, some patterns that, that can be looked for that, to shield those vulnerable applications from known attack methods. I guess the other thing that a proxy can do that uh, something like an intrusion detection system can't do is that it can actually look for potential bad behavior that hasn't happened yet, can't it? If I've connected to a website and it's trying to feed me with, say, some JavaScript, which aims to go and connect to a range of different servers in the hope that one of them has a malicious payload, perhaps sometime tomorrow when the crooks light it up. With a traditional IDS, you won't actually know that there's a problem until that connection actually goes ahead. Whereas with a proxy, you could actually spot that something is kind of gearing up for malicious behavior later. Yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's lots of different uh, bits of analysis you can do once you have that code to look at, as you say, when it's pieced back together. And one useful way to, to perhaps leverage something like that that we see in the malware area is uh, a domain generation algorithm. You know, every day some malware generates domain names it's going to try to contact. You know, you might be able to detect with a proxy stuff that matches those patterns for tomorrow or the day after or the day after that even um, that hasn't occurred yet. Chester, the other thing you mentioned that, again, this is part of the Sophos UTM, it does have in my mind something to do with firewalls, but is traditionally seen as a separate product. You mentioned it earlier, that's the idea of a VPN or a virtual private network. Are VPNs and firewalls sort of two sides of the same coin? Uh, should they always march together? Or can you just treat them as two completely separate things? I think they're they're very much compatible, if not uh, uh, you know pretty good bedfellows, because the reality is the point of the VPN is to bring something from the outside, authenticate that it is what it is, and then allow it through that firewall and pretend that it's now on the inside. So I think the firewall is the perfect place to do that, because in essence you're you're poking a hole through that firewall. Uh, specifically for the purpose of bringing someone in. And that's really the firewall's job most of the time. Uh, once that person's on the inside, strangely, they can then go back out through that firewall and benefit from all the protection it provides. So while they're not distinctly uh, reliant on one another, uh, it is a very convenient place to implement it. And, and it's probably important to point out as well that you know there's kind of two styles of VPN, and, and both of them fit quite well with the firewall. There's there's sort of this network-to-network -network VPN where I may have an office in San Jose and an office in Paris, and I want to make sure those two can talk over the internet because a line that long from the telephone company is too expensive. I'm just going to use the internet as my transport. The other type of VPN is the type that I use in my own network here at home, which is kind of an end-user device being brought into the corporate network from wherever it may reside, and, and that could be your iPhone or your iPad or or your laptop computer, or, or just somebody working from a home office from a desktop that uh, uh, you may not have a physical location at. So the way most people would actually use a VPN for protecting things like mobile devices would be to have, let's call it the VPN client, the thing that runs on your phone, almost acting as a kind of 
firewall or a security bunker, if you like, for the phone. Yeah, if it's deployed correctly, there's quite a few advantages. I mean, there's two types of a VPN solution you can do. It's called a split tunnel where only your corporate information goes through the VPN and everything else goes straight out to the internet. Or a more traditional VPN where all traffic is funneled back through that VPN into your internal network. I always recommend the second because it infers all kinds of benefits. One, the guy sitting next to you on the free Wi-Fi isn't able to infer anything about what you're doing other than that you're securely communicating back to your company. Um, so it, it also gives you some privacy benefits, right? Because that means people can't see the DNS requests of websites you're going to or search terms you're entering into Google or whatever it might be. So that's kind of a nice benefit. And the other thing is these mobile devices don't really have powerful firewalls, right? There's not really a firewall on an iPhone or an Android device to speak of, and certainly not one that is easy for you to configure, monitor, or do anything with. And often uh, other security features on these phones are lacking as well. Uh, you know, in desktop computers, you often have a, maybe a web filter installed that, uh, you know, protects the user when they're away from the office. That's not commonly found on mobile platforms. So it's kind of cool that you can use that VPN on your iPhone get on the company network, so now you've got all the benefits of all the company resources being available on your phone, but it also means you're going out through that web proxy we talked about a few minutes ago that can help protect you against phishing URLs that you normally wouldn't have any protection for on your iPhone. So just to, just to wrap up, to go back to that whole inside versus outside concept that you said has pretty much melted, it seems that one still meets a lot of people who have bought firewalls doing the sort of filtering on stuff that comes in from the outside that they should probably do on outbound stuff as well. And the classic example is people who don't bother to filter their outbound email for spam. They're missing a trick, aren't they? Because if they are sending spam out, it probably means they've got a giant problem with some kind of bot or zombie inside their network. Why wouldn't you want to go looking for it and look for anomalies of that sort? Yep, absolutely. And and that's why I think the appeal of these unified boxes, these UTMs, um, has really taken off in the small and mid-sized enterprise because you really need to put all those things together to have the complete picture. And by having them on separate devices, if you've got a crack team of security people to manage that stuff, you can do some pretty neat things. But most people don't have the resources to do that. And by putting it all together, those anomalies can just pop out into your vision and go, whoa what the heck is that? That doesn't seem right. And when it's all separate, it's really hard to figure that out. Chester, I think that's a great place to draw to a close. So let me conclude and see what you think of how I summarize. Firewalls traditionally have been about packets, IP numbers and ports, and just monitoring what sort of packets go where. Really, that's not enough these days because it's more about what's in the packet and what that packet and indeed the whole context that it's inside might be all about. When we use the term firewall today or next generation firewall, we're really talking about a whole range of technologies which can be combined together in a UTM type device or they can be delivered separately that goes all the way from packet filtering through intrusion detection. Uh, network flow analysis, deep packet inspection, spam and email filtering, proxies, and even your virtual private network that makes sure the right people are connecting in the right way. So firewall has become quite a broad term and reminds us that defense in depth really does work. I think that's a great description, Paul. So I guess all that remains, Chester, is for me to say 
If you like what you've heard, go to sophos.com and grab yourself a copy of the Sophos UTM Home Edition. You get a license that covers all the features of that product. Uh, You even get 12 free licenses for Sophos antivirus for Windows. So you can actually install and manage antivirus inside your own network at home. If you're looking after your kids online or you're the IT geek at a shared house, just the thing for you. But it's also because it's completely free. It's an excellent tool to learn about all this technology and what it can do for you. Uh, And until next time, stay secure. (laughs) Bye.